Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Today's edition of Fangraphs Audio is elegant in its simplicity. The attentive listener will know that today, Major League Baseball released the details of the new collective bargaining agreement between the league's owners and the Players Association. You, as a curious fan, will have questions about that. I act as your surrogate today and ask those questions of Dave Cameron. So to recap briefly, in this episode, you will hear me asking questions of Dave Cameron about the new CBA between the league's owners and the Players Association. Humana, humana, humana. That's it. That's the introduction. Now here's my conversation with Dave Cameron. Right. Well, that serves as a entirely relevant segue to what we'll probably be talking about. Dave, you know that I'm fond of regression, or digression, I should say, uh, on the okay. podcast. However, I'm not sure that we necessarily have time for digression today uh, because there's a lot going on. I've actually purposely insulated myself uh, purely towards the end of journalistic integrity from discussion of the CBA so that I could really be asking out of a place of curiosity. Great. <laughs> let's, uh, let's begin with discussion of CBA then. I, I guess today details of the new collective bargaining agreement for between Major League Baseball and the Players Associations come out. Is that That's accurate? Yeah, the, the league officially announced the new CBA, which has been apparently uh, pretty close to being done. It took a couple of weeks, and so there have been like leaks and rumors. We knew about the Astros moving and the second wild card, but they uh, put out all the bloody, gory details today, and uh, they weren't quite as pretty as uh, what we were hoping for. Right. Well, so there didn't seem to be much of a distance in terms of um, bargaining between the Players Association and the owners this time. Is, is that is that accurate to say? Well, it seems like uh, the negotiations that had been reported in the press where the owners and the players had agreed on almost everything, and over the last couple of weeks were basically just working on draft pick, uh, draft compensation, so how the structure of the draft is going to work. And there weren't really a whole lot of reports about what kind of things were being negotiated. We knew that uh, owners wanted hard slotting, um, like kind of what the NBA has, where if you're picked here, this is what your salary will be. And, and the players were against that and uh, were generally going to fight against any kind of salary cap. But in the end, it turns out that what the players agreed to is essentially hard slotting and the uh, end of amateur baseball uh, uh, spending in, in terms of differences of what team can spend. So uh, the, major, the Players Association made pretty drastic concessions uh, and gave the owners basically what they wanted in that area. Well, let's get to the details in a second. But first, you mentioned that they make... Um, some concessions. Is there any reason why they would do that? Uh, well, I think the players, Major League Baseball players, realize they have it pretty good in relation to other sports. I mean, the NFL's contracts are not guaranteed. Um, you know, so if you're an overpaid, underproducing player in the NFL, you could see your contract torn up and uh, get a fraction of what you thought you'd agreed to sign for. Uh, in Major League Baseball, you know, Vernon Wells is going to get every ounce of that $126 million designed for, even though he's not worth it. So I think uh, the players know that this is probably not a boat worth rocking, and if they had to sell off the rights of players not in the union in order to keep their uh, gravy train going, they were willing to do that. Right. Although I would argue that 
if there's one purpose for a union, it seems like guaranteed contracts is the purpose. Because otherwise, you, otherwise you're incentivizing you're incentivizing not bargaining for the best possible contract. Because I remember, for example, with the Patriots, they had a safety named Lawyer Malloy. Lawyer Malloy at one point became less valuable than his contract, which means the Patriots it was in their best interest just to drop him. It seems to me if you're going to have if you're going to have a union, that's the one thing you want to protect against above all others. Yeah, I would say the, the NFL Players Association has done a pretty poor job in protecting their players over the years, but I think there's no doubt that the Major League Baseball Players Association is the most powerful of all of the uh, unions of the major sports, and they've done the most to protect their players' uh, long-term financial interests, and so I think getting guaranteed contracts has, uh, has been a big win for them. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why they're maybe not fighting tooth and nail on all these other issues is because they've got a pretty good setup compared to NBA players or NFL players. Okay, so let's let's talk about what's going on now with the new CBA and its uh, and how the draft will be handled in it. Uh, what is sort of I mean, what for you is the most striking point about about this new agreement? Well, so essentially the new rules on draft spending, um, the, so instead of official hard slotting, uh, Major League Baseball couldn't get that, so they set up a tax system that essentially uh, will result in a de facto hard slotting. So um, the penalties for going over slot uh, up to 5% and slot is essentially a recommendation from the commissioner's office of how much each player should be paid based on where it gets drafted. Uh, if you go over that amount by up to 5%, there's a 75% tax on what you paid, which is pretty steep. If you go over that from 6% to 10%, then there's a 75% tax, and you lose your first-round pick the next year. Uh, 10% to 15%, 75% is 100% tax, and you lose your first and second-round picks. If you go over 15% of the recommended slot, then it's 100% tax, and you lose two first-round picks. So the costs are so high that teams are just not going to be willing to go over slot anymore. I mean, the teams are basically going to do a cost-benefit analysis and say, it's not worth it for me to make a contract offer for more than the slot recommendation. Uh, if I do, then the, the cost is going to be so high that it's just not worth it. So you might see a few teams being willing to go a little bit over slot and pay that 75% tax, but once it comes to losing draft picks, no team can be willing to do that. It sounds to me, by that arrangement, like as you've mentioned, that essentially there's no incentive for a team to go considerably over slot, especially if it means losing draft picks, unless, for example, there was you had the opportunity to draft Steven Strasburg or Bryce Harper or something of that sort. I mean, even in that case, do you, do you, do you see a team um, giving up a future first-round draft pick for like a once-in-a-generation talent? Uh, well, I, I would say that those talents probably are just never going to fall anymore because there's not going to be any leverage for the player. So if slot is going to be enforced to such a degree, it's going to be impossible for a player like Strasburg to fall very far and negotiate uh, a significant, like, so Strasburg got, you know, $30 million or, uh, whatever the, the, the total was. I think he got $15 million guaranteed and then a whole bunch of incentives based on how he pitches in the major leagues. Uh, no team is ever going to pay anything close to that ever again. So players aren't going to, um, have the ability to say, okay, well, I'm just going to sign, not sign and come back in next year's draft and get drafted by someone else and negotiate a bigger contract. So this is essentially going to deflate uh, draft salaries to such a point that the top players will get taken at the top of the draft, which I think is a positive point uh, in favor of these new rules, but I think the the hammer that was used in order to enforce that is so strong that it's going to have a 
a larger negative effect than the positive effect of ensuring that players like Strasburg go number one, because under the current system, Steven Strasburg went number one, so did Bryce Harper. The top players have historically gone at the top of the draft, so I think they uh, took a mallet to a problem that wasn't all that big of an issue to begin with. Now, I don't think, uh, I think I'm saying something accurate when I say that that smarter teams have taken advantage of the ability to go over slot by using a, a later round draft pick, a second or third or eighth round draft pick, and maybe drafting a player whose signability might be in question, uh, but who you know a team could pay um, you know over slot and maybe get that talent without having to forego an, an earlier round draft pick. How is this now with this deal? How is this going to affect? the sort of competitive differences, uh, especially of the smarter clubs? Yeah, I mean, that's basically not going to be possible anymore. So uh, the costs for signing a hard slot, a hard sign guy are going to be so high that it just won't be worth it, uh, and teams just aren't going to make those kind of offers anymore. So, like, last year the Pittsburgh Pirates paid uh, $5 million to Josh Bell after they selected him in the second round. Uh, the cost of taking Josh Bell under the new agreement, I mean, because that's so far over slot, that would have been the 15% penalty in the loss of two first-round picks, uh, plus the 100% tax. So the Pirates would have ended up paying $10 million to sign Josh Bell and uh, lost two first-round picks for the, for the right to do it. There's just no way they would have said, okay, this is something worth doing. And Josh Bell was such a hard-sign guy, which is why he fell in the first place. It wasn't that he was holding out for a whole bunch of money. It's that he had other options and wasn't necessarily sure he was going to actually even join a professional baseball team. Josh Bell just wouldn't have been drafted. He would have, in, if these rules were in effect, Josh Bell would not be a professional baseball player today. He just, no team would have been willing to spend the top 10 or 15 pick in order to take the risk of him signing, especially because the, the rules would have prevented them from offering him, offering him anything close to what he wanted in order to actually choose to sign a contract in the first place. Will players stay in college longer, or will players go to other sports? Yeah, yes to both. I mean, I think you'll see uh, high school players, uh, college just became a lot more attractive. Um, if you're trying to decide, you know, between uh, a college education and a $6 million signing bonus, uh, that's a lot harder decision than a college education and a $2 million signing bonus. And this, these rules are... Uh, expressly designed to hold down the signing bonuses of, of amateur players. So um, the cost of going to college just got a lot smaller. Um, so I think you're going to see more high school players choose to go to college and players who have uh, ability to play other sports. I mean, you're, you definitely see Grady Sizemore was bought out of a football scholarship by the Seattle Mariners when they took him in the third round. And there's a lot of players who have the ability to play either college football or pro baseball. Joe Mauer is another famous example. He probably uh, would have ended up as the Florida State Seminole starting quarterback if the Twins hadn't paid him a whole lot of money. Under the current uh, situation, <laughs> Joe Mauer wouldn't have been compensated nearly as highly as he actually was, and he might have chosen to go play football, and Joe Mauer might not be a baseball player today. You, you mentioned, or we sort of talked about how, you, like, you mentioned the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, Certainly the, the Tampa Bay Rays are another team that's taken advantage of the draft in recent years. I'm curious, we know that the front offices, that the GMs of those teams, understand the value of taking advantage of the draft and paying over slot for talent. Do you see that the owners of those teams also, um, I mean, would they have been in favor of these rule changes or would they have been dissenting voices? Well, I would imagine that the owners were mostly swayed by the arguments of keeping total costs down. So in general, 
the owners are being sold a line by Bud Selig that says, hey, if we can implement these, this uh, de facto hard slotting, and uh, especially with what they did in the amateur level, we can really drastically cut the costs of bringing in these players. And so if the argument is that, hey, these guys just want to play baseball and they'll sign for whatever it is that we can get them, if we can sign them for less than what we're paying, then we'll just save money overall. So I think the owners are looking at it as a cost reduction, and it will probably reduce the costs of signing amateur talent. I think you'll see overall expenditures on international signing uh, international players and in the draft go down from what it has been in the, the past few years. Um, and I don't think the owners are generally motivated enough to believe that this is a competitive advantage that they shouldn't be sacrificing. I think they mostly just looked at the bottom line and said, hey, sweet, we can save some money, and then I'll just tell my GM he needs to find another way to win. Do you foresee this having a, an effect on baseball in the long term? I mean, I think there's no doubt that the advantage that teams had in, in order to sway high school players away from other sports has been significantly diminished. So I do think that we're going to see players who would have otherwise played Major League Baseball going to other sports. Uh, how significant it's going to be to lose out on those kind of athletes, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not, I'm not going to predict doom and gloom for the sport. Um, but I will say that, you know, having premium athletes uh, play baseball instead of basketball or football leads to a more entertaining product. It certainly leads to a better product. I mean, I don't think we want to see a baseball world full of slow white guys who trot around the bases when they hit home runs, and that's kind of the only type of player that we see in the sport. I mean, you want athletic center fielders and shortstops and guys who can run and uh, that kind of entertaining brand of baseball, and I think if those guys all migrate to football and basketball because of the new rules on spending on amateur players, that's a bad thing for baseball in the long term. You mentioned international signings. Does the new CBA change the uh, parameters for that as well? Drastically. So uh, as of uh, today, essentially going forward, uh, Major League Baseball teams will be limited to $2.9 million in total spending on international free agents over the next year. Uh, $2.9 million is less than what most of the top uh, international prospects got by themselves, and that's now a team's total budget. So you know, previously when you would see teams sign three or four or five or sometimes six or seven uh, international 16-year-olds every summer, that's essentially not going to be possible anymore. Uh, teams are going to have to pick and choose whether they want quantity or quality, and if they want one of the best players, it's going to take up a huge portion of that $2.9 million, uh, where they'll be able to sign one or maybe two guys, and it's going to spread out the uh, talent around the game a lot more um, to the point where, you know, I mean, if the Pirates or the Blue Jays or one of these teams who was investing heavily in international free agency, they would run into their cap very quickly. And then a team that hadn't done nearly as much scouting but was aware of who the best guys were, they were the only ones left with any money in their allocation, and they could just go sign that guy without having invested much resources in actually finding those players and you know, developing uh, connections in those countries and with agents and doing the actual hard work. They would just swoop in and say, okay, well, this guy's the number three-ranked prospect by Baseball America, and we're the only ones with any money left. So... Uh, I think overall you're going to see a flattening of competitive balance across the international free agent market, and uh, I, I would say that's not in the best interest of the, the low-revenue teams either. It seems to me that Major League Baseball has a peculiar ability to pass laws, regulations that expressly hurt the game and yet are don't appear to suffer from it all. Is that is that accurate? Is that an accurate comment? Uh, I would say that the the rules that are hurting the game are not uh, hurting the game to such a degree that the the problems are obvious. So I think you know competitive balance 
is a little bit of a problem in baseball, especially as it relates to the Yankees versus the other 29 teams. I mean, besides the Yankees, the other 29 teams are fairly balanced within themselves. There's definitely some differences with the Red Sox and Phillies and uh, a few other big spenders versus teams like the Marlins or the Royals. I guess the Marlins are no longer a good example. But, uh, you know, I think there there's some uh, parity issues in baseball that need to be resolved. But it hasn't necessarily hurt baseball that a, you know, the large, the team in the largest market has been a dominant force and created a lot of revenue. So, you know, it may, may be a, an issue for the league, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to uh, keep fans from coming to the park if it gets to the point where there is no way for a team like Tampa Bay or Oakland or, you know, Kansas City to contend with a team that has a much larger payroll. And eventually I think we'll see what we see in the NBA where, you know, the Lakers are really well attended and there's a, a bunch of teams that do really well. And then there's a team like the Hornets and Bobcats who don't have anyone coming to their games because they don't really have a chance to win. One more thing, at least one more thing regarding the CBA. Um, the way that teams are compensated for departing free agents has changed. Can you, uh, yeah. can you talk about that a little bit? So, uh, after this winter, this winter is going to be a little bit of a hybrid because Major League Baseball didn't come to an agreement fast enough, so they had to kind of keep the type A's and they uh, adjusted a few things. But after this winter, the whole Elias ranking system of type A and B free agents is going to go away, and uh, the way that teams will be compensated for free agents lost will be based upon making a qualifying offer of at least $12.5 million for one year of a salary. So any player who's offered $12.5 million or more for the following year will then receive draft pick compensation. So uh, if you're not willing to offer the player, you're going to lose at least $12.5 million, then you won't get a draft pick for losing him. So uh, it definitely shifts the tier up and away from guys like middle middle relievers who've been really hurt by type A rules uh, in, in previous years, which is good. But I think that you know making no distinction between a $12.5 million free agent and $25 million free agent is, is a little nutty. And uh, I, I've never really been a huge fan of free agent compensation to begin with, but I, I'm not 100% sure that the new rules are a huge improvement over the old rules uh, beyond just not screwing over middle relievers anymore. So has anything good come of the new CBA? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, we're just focusing on the, the competitive balance aspects of the draft and the international signings today, but I think most of the announcements before then had been mostly good. I mean, I'm not crazy about the second wild card in the sense that I don't want the Major League Baseball to become like the NFL or the NBA where half the teams make the playoffs, but I do think that the uh, ability to incentivize teams to win more is a good thing, and, the, you know, I wrote about today on the site how I think that the addition of the second wild card is going to motivate teams to focus more on put it, putting decent major league teams on the field. Like, it's now less valuable for a team to be terrible than it was previously since the odds of making the playoffs are better. Um, so I do think that, you know, I think that will produce more teams in the pennant race in September, even if a pennant race is running for a second wild card that would lead to a one-game playoff. You'll have more teams playing interesting baseball games in September, which could lead to increased attendance. Um, you know, I think moving the uh, Astros to the American League West and Balancing out the league's 15-15 is probably a good idea. Um, sounds like there's expanded instant replay, which is a good thing. So I don't, I don't want to say that the entire CBA is bunk. I would just say that the rules announced on the draft and international free agency today sound like they benefit the big market teams more than the small market teams, and that's probably not the direction Major League Baseball needed to go. Uh, regarding the, the wild card, exactly what's the, the new setup now? So the, the setup is not officially in place for 2012. It will be in place for 2013. They'll decide whether it's going to occur next season or not uh, as of March 1st. So they'll make a decision before the season starts, but not before the off season is over. 
Um, but essentially they're going to add a second wild card team in each league, and then the two wild card teams will play a one-game playoff to determine which team gets the final spot in the division series. So the three division winners will get uh, spots in the first round just like they do now, and the two wild card teams will play a one-game playoff to determine who gets that final spot, and then we'll have the playoffs as they are now. Okay, yeah. I mean, so the problem with expanded playoffs, right, is that I mean, in football, you have 16 games to decide who's going to make the playoffs. But in baseball, because you're playing 10 times that many games, literally, having a, a giant playoff system is absurd because it diminishes the importance of this uh, gigantic regular season. It sounds like what you're saying, though, is we don't necessarily have – it's not necessarily expanding the playoffs uh, to such a large degree and perhaps is giving a few more teams each year an incentive to win. Yeah, I mean, I think, so the, the fact that they're not just putting another team in the playoffs or expanding to another playoff round, uh, helps keep the, the regular season integrity intact. And I actually like the fact that it makes winning the division more important. So, you know, in previous years we've seen, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox come down to the final day of the regular season where one's going to win the division, one's going to win the wild card, and it doesn't really matter who wins what. And so they'll, you know, say, oh yeah, it'd be nice to win the division, but they don't manage like it's all that important, and we've seen, uh, division titles basically become equivalent to a wild card. This will change that. So now the wild card team is going to have to play for a spot in the division series, meaning they're probably going to have to use their best pitcher in order to win that game if they have the ability to set up their rotation in order to do so, which means their best pitcher will then only be able to make one start in the first round. It puts the two wild card teams at a significant disadvantage compared to the, the division winners, makes the division, winning the division more important again. Um, and I think it will probably give uh, one or two more teams in each league a chance to say, hey, we're actual playoff contenders, and give their fans interesting games to watch in September. Uh, any final comments on the, the CBA, just the, the implications of it, or what we can expect from it? Uh, I mean, I think overall the game is going to change that drastically. You're, you're still going to see the same sport that you saw uh, you know, on the field in 2011. I mean, you're going to see uh, some changes with interleague play every day and the second wild card will change some things. But overall, it's still going to be baseball. But I do wonder, uh, so a team like Tampa Bay, who's put a lot of resources into building up their player development and, and focused heavily on collecting draft picks and building through the draft, who simply cannot afford to compete in the major league payroll, I wonder where they're going to be able to allocate their resources now in order to have a competitive advantage and actually sustain winning over a, a significant number of years. I mean, if the Yankees are going to be able to outspend them by $150 million at the major league level, the only way for them to compete is to make up for that in non-major league talent. And, you know, I think the CBA just took away a significant portion of their ability to do that. So, you know, uh, I think major league teams in that position are going to now have to be extremely creative in finding new market inefficiencies and new areas of talent they can add, uh, whether it's you know, spending more on front office talent, spending more on scouts. I mean, there's going to have to be some shift in spending uh, away from what used to go to amateur players into some other area where these teams just aren't going to be able to compete. All right. Hey, Dave Cameron, thanks a lot for uh, answering all these questions about the CBA. And yeah, no, no problem. Happy to do it. All right. All right. That's Dave Cameron, our full-time employee of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>